Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the Prime Minister attends a Summit of the Americas marked by absences and boycotts. Canada, uh, of course, uh, looks forward to participating fully in the Summit of the Americas. It's extremely important that we have an opportunity uh, to engage uh, with our fellow hemispheric partners, some like-minded, some less like-minded, but talking about the important issues that uh, our people have in common, whether it's uh, migration pressures, whether it's climate change, whether it's coming through this pandemic, uh, this is an important moment for us to gather. The opposition parties demand the Liberals take action on the rising cost of living. We need to see some action. We need to see a government that recognizes people don't need a, a, a check from the government. They need taxes cut. The best way to provide relief for Canadians is cut their taxes. And two Conservative MPs switch allegiance from Patrick Brown to Pierre Poilievre. The uh, goal of the Poilievre campaign is to just make it appear that the game is over. Everybody else can just quit and go home and, and we can have a coronation of, of Pierre Poilievre as the leader of the Conservative Party. It's Wednesday, June the 8th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by longtime political writer and broadcaster Dan Legere. Good morning, Dan. Hi, Mark. So the Summit of the Americas is on. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is there. It's it's kind of an interesting summit because there were some countries, including Cuba and Venezuela, that were not invited. And there are others like Mexico that are staying away. But this is an opportunity for Prime Minister Trudeau to spend some time with U.S. President Joe Biden and other North American leaders and South American leaders. Um, so what do you think is is uh, sort of critical for the prime minister here? What What's Canada's agenda at this summit? Well, you know, you'd have to call it the summit of some of the Americas, <laughs> given the fact that so many aren't going to be there. I mean, you know, it, it does render the whole exercise in term, terms of a summit itself as a, a little bit weird and, and and not particularly helpful, uh, because as you know, and as I'm sure a lot of our listeners know, uh, the work of these summits is all done in advance, and, and the leaders come together and, and sort of nod and give speeches and, uh, and agree with each other on things. Um, so uh, in terms of an overall summit, there's probably not going to be much coming out of it, although, you know, summits rarely do produce very much that's tangible in the lives of, of people. Uh, but as you say, you know, this is a, another chance for Trudeau to reemphasize the close ties between Canada and the U.S. Um, and some of the other, uh, you know, uh, hemispheric countries. But, um, you know, uh, beyond that, I mean, you know, the main, uh, the main uh, you know, concerns for Canada are, is on the trade uh, front, you know, with the Americans, the Buy America the sort of anti, uh, you know, foreign market uh, attitude that's taken a grip in Congress. And uh, so this is one way, I guess, to keep up the diplomatic uh, full-court press to keep Canada on the agenda in terms of uh, trade and commerce. Yeah. All right, let's turn to inflation. And as, as Parliament winds down, you know, we're, we're in June. The, the summer break is approaching. It, you, you, you know, you can, I know on Parliament Hill, people can kind of see the finish line of, of this season of Parliament. But uh, obviously the rising cost of living is on many people's minds and the opposition is, is trying to uh, 
hammer the government uh, on this, uh, pin it to the government, make the government responsible for it, accountable for it, ask for changes. So uh, how prevalent a topic do you think this is and and how much uh, do you think it's going to dominate the agenda going forward? Well, this is the number one topic in terms of uh, of regular folks, Mark. Uh, you know, it's the cost of gasoline, the cost of uh, food, rent, real estate, you know, right across the board. And, and this is the most powerful kind of political issue because it affects the pocketbooks of literally everybody. Uh, you know, everybody on our side of the line that separates the rich from everyone else Everybody on our side of the line, so to speak, is is feeling the pinch, and um, but you know the the sad truth is is that parliamentarians don't have a hell of a lot of impact on inflation. It's a global phenomenon. It's you know there's supply chain disruptions. There's a war going on in the middle of Europe. Um, you know there's a lot of other issues that are in play, and you know the ability of Parliament to pass laws to ban inflation is pretty limited. You know, the, you know, and and it's funny because the parties do seem to fall back on their old reliable lines. So the conservatives go, well, we just need a tax cut. Then that'll, you know, that'd be the best thing you can do. And the, the NDP is saying, well, tax the rich and and send that money to the people most affected, which is a very, um, you know, traditional NDP approach to economic issues of this kind. Um, but when you come right down to it, they can talk themselves blue in the face, but the economy is working on its own. Government doesn't have that much effect on the economy, um, and certainly not in a way that would tame inflation. So, uh, you know, governments do have to be careful. They have to keep the reins on spending. I, I think the government is starting to see that now post-COVID. Uh, but... Uh, you know, a lot of it is just talk and a lot of it is politics and there isn't a lot they could do. Yeah. All right. Let's talk for a moment about Canada's chief electoral officer, Stéphane Perrault, who made a number of recommendations yesterday to change how elections are run in Canada. And one of the big ones is he's saying it should be illegal to spread misinformation about voting. This is a phenomenon that has developed in in recent years, uh, that there are false messages being spread on social media, claiming that uh, candidates were being removed from ballots, that uh, machines counted all the votes cast. Uh, there been uh, there's been misinformation uh, telling people where to vote, uh, telling people the wrong places to vote, those kinds of things. So, uh, what do you think about all of that? Well, you know, there's always been dirty tricks in elections. Uh, there's always been you know, putting out uh, phony stories or um, other deceptive tactics that parties or individuals within parties have used. Remember the robocall issue from a couple of elections back where people were being told to go to the wrong place to vote. But in the past couple of years, and, and what we've seen from the United States, um, it's just been a storm of disinformation, you know, intentional disinformation sometimes spread by foreign actors or others who are merely trying to undermine the democratic process in Canada. And, uh, you know, I know there's going to be a lot of hollering over uh, Perot's report on this and his call for, uh, you know, criminalizing, I guess, disinformation during election campaigns. 
But uh, are we going to just stand there and, and say we can't do anything and it's going to be just like the U.S. where all kinds of crazy uh, lies are spread and dominate even the discussion, you know? So, you know, at some point, democracies, I guess, other than the United States, but democracies like Canada are going to have to stand up and say, look, we have to defend elections. Otherwise, we're going to lose everything else. And this is the problem that they're hurtling toward in the U.S., it seems, is that they're undermining their system to the point where nobody believes anything about it anymore, and it's just going to become paralyzed. And and when that happens, um, the rights of the, the majority, the people who would express their democratic will in an election, are going to be left aside, uh, pushed aside and undermined. So, you know, this is... Uh, I think this is a really critical thing, and, and I hope that this report gets uh, gets some intelligent discussion and is not just uh, tossed off as some con- you know attempt by the liberal government to uh, exert control over free speech or something like that. This is far beyond that and, and into a much more dangerous uh, realm. Mm. All right, finally, Dan, a couple of Ontario MPs, Conservative MPs, who were previously supporting Patrick Brown in the party's leadership race, have switched to supporting Pierre Poilievre. Um, And uh, that obviously is a strong signal, and it comes right after the membership deadline passed, the deadline for signing up members who can vote in this in this leadership race in September. Um, the, the huge numbers that Poiliev's campaign has said, it, it, uh, the, the numbers of members that it has signed up, um, I find it interesting because I think a lot of people would say, well, if, if you're the kind of person who would support Patrick Brown, you, you might not be the kind of person who supports Pierre Poiliev. So it's an interesting switch, but um, it certainly s- it continues the narrative that all the momentum is with Polyev. Yeah, and I think that's why they've, you know, they've, they've come out and, and, you know, announced their conversion on the road to Damascus, uh, you know, in such a sort of dramatic way. I mean, these are not MPs who are household names by any means. And, uh, you know, it, it likely is not going to have a huge impact. But, you know, if you're trying to, drum up support among signed up conservatives in your riding and your MP calls, you're going to take the phone call. You know, you're going to listen to hear them out. They're the people who've gotten elected. So they're going to have some influence over these things. But um, I think right now, like you say, you know, the, the, the uh, goal of the Polyev campaign is to just make it appear that the game is over. Everybody else can just quit and go home and, and we can have a coronation of, of Pierre Polyev as the, leader of the conservative party so um you know i i don't know that we're there yet it, it kind of looks that way from the outside um and certainly signing up members was the key part of this campaign and that part is now over so um but you know there's still quite a way before anyone actually casts the ballot and quite a bit could happen um and i wonder whether the other campaigns don't have a few tricks up their sleeves as well uh, that will fight back against uh, Polyev's uh, sort of hostile takeover of the Conservative Party. Um, you know, and, and it's leaving ordinary members, I think, wondering, you know, how this can happen, like you alluded to. How do you be, how are you supporting Patrick Brown and the moderate view of the Conservative Party on one day, and then the next day you suddenly support this, oh, let's put uh, the Canada pension plan into Bitcoin or whatever. You know, it's, 
it's uh, it's really strange, but you know, party leadership uh, campaigns often produce weirdness, and uh, this is another case. Hmm. All right, great stuff, Dan. Thank you for joining us today. Okay, Mark. That's longtime political writer and broadcaster Dan Legere. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the National Post, Sabrina Maddo considers a proposed government bill aimed at amending the Customs Act. Maddo writes, If you think hours-long security and customs delays are bad now, just wait until border agents can search through your phone and laptop based on nothing more than reasonable general concern. The government's proposed Bill S-7, introduced in the Senate, aims to amend the Customs Act to dictate when customs officers can look through cell phones, tablets, laptops, and more, allowing law enforcement bodies more or less free reign over who and what they can search has not been a historically successful strategy. It's also one that typically results in discrimination against minority populations. In the National Observer, Max Fawcett argues mandatory voting can rescue Canadian democracy. Fawcett writes, At a time when the public's engagement with our democratic process is at a dangerously low ebb, mandatory voting can help restore faith in our political institutions and system. Yes, mandatory voting would provoke howls of outrage from freedom-obsessed conservatives, but that's as much a point in its favor as it is against. After watching conservatives rail against common-sense things like vaccines and mask mandates, their standing and credibility with the rest of the public are not what they once were. In the Toronto Star, Barnelli Chowdhury argues a proposed Canadian bill is too weak to fight child labour. Chowdhury writes, Bill S-211, which requires companies to annually report on the steps they have taken to prevent and reduce the risk of forced or child labor taking place in their supply chains, will do little to address the problem. In its current state, it is essentially a copy of the UK's Modern Slavery Act, which has proved to be ineffective. If the government is truly committed to ensuring that Canadian businesses do not contribute to human rights harms, it needs to look beyond Bill S-211 to help vulnerable people and partially restore Canada's reputation as a human rights defender. Now, here's what's coming up on today's political agenda. The Prime Minister will attend the Summit of the Americas in Los Angeles. Deputy Prime Minister Christia Freeland will attend the Liberal Caucus meeting and question period. Tourism Minister Randy Boissonneau will be in Paris to attend the 2022 meeting of the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development Ministerial Council. And Minister of Labor Seamus O'Regan will attend the 110th session of the International Labor Conference in Geneva, Switzerland. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Wednesday, June the 8th. Tune in to Primetime Politics tonight on CPAC. For coverage of all the day's events, our podcast returns tomorrow morning. Have a great day.